This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning, everybody. Hey, 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 it's Monday, January 29, 2024. We are in the presidential and primary season on the federal state, local, county levels. Everybody's voting. Please, everybody, get registered to vote. Get involved in the process. I vote the way that I vote, but I want you to be civically engaged. That's the only way that this Republican, excuse me, that this Republican and Democratic and independent process works. You've got to be involved. I'm Santita Jackson. It's a joy to be with you today. Let's talk about this drone attack. Will this draw us into a wider war? In the Middle East, three U.S. troops were killed in a drone attack on a base in Georgia. At least 34 other service members were injured. What's going to happen? The president said that he will respond. And then several things are happening on the protest front. Have you not noticed that President Biden is encountering pushback as he is campaigning in 2024? You're hearing eruptions of ceasefire, ceasefire. And he's becoming more visibly agitated. It's interesting. How is that going to work? Because two-thirds of Americans want to see fire, but he continues to resist it. And he continues to fund what is now commonly known as a genocide of the Palestinians in Gaza. Let's talk about that, but let's also talk about something that Nancy Pelosi said. She said that those who are calling for a ceasefire are on Putin's message and that they need to be investigated by the FBI. Yes, you heard me right. It sounds just like what they did, well, what they do to civil rights workers and progressives. This is the Dr. King playbook. This is what I lived with. Think about that. Are you serious? Remember, Dr. King was called the communist because he wanted to desegregate America. He wanted our fair share. We're always called communists or socialists when we want fairness. But you're a capitalist when you want to rape everybody else. Yes, I said that, and I'll add more to it before I take anything back. So let's get right back to the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. I want you to call me at 773-791-9748-773-791-9748. Three U.S. troops were killed in a drone attack on a base in Jordan. The attack took place yesterday near Jordan's border with Iraq and Syria, at least 34 other U.S. service members were injured. President Biden blamed groups supported by Iran, which have been attacking U.S. troops since the outbreak of the Israeli-Gaza war. He vowed to respond. This was the first deadly military action against U.S. troops since the war began. Donald Trump was ordered to pay more than $83 million to E. Jean Carroll because she he was found liable last year for sexually abusing the writer decades ago and defaming her when she spoke out Friday's ruling determined additional damages he owed. President Biden vowed to shut down an overwhelmed border if a Senate deal passes. Biden said he would use the emergency powers granted by an immigration bill being considered by Congress. When the U.S. border becomes overwhelmed, the comments made Friday marked a major shift in tone for President Biden, showing the urgency of the border issue for his re 
election campaign. Guess what? You know the Mona Lisa, that famous, beautiful masterpiece. Well, to raise awareness of food security issues and the struggles of French farmers, they're having a big protest over there right now. Well, two protesters threw soup at the Mona Lisa yesterday. Wow, Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece is protected by armored glass and was not damaged. But they threw soup at it. And guess what? The Kansas City Chiefs will face the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. That's right. The Chiefs, cheered on by Taylor Swift, beat the top-seeded Baltimore Ravens 17-10. to 10. The 49ers pulled off a stunning comeback to defeat the Detroit Lions 34-31. We still don't know what happened there. I'm heartbroken for you, Detroit, but I love you. The 2024 tax season officially opens today. I know. Everybody elsewhere, um, it is going to be, it's almost like it's, it feels like it's spring. What do you think? Is it just me? It's going to, you're going to have a high of 44 degrees, everybody. 44 degrees in Minneapolis, St. Paul. How does that work? And then, we're up for 30s here in Chicago. Wow, 38 degrees. Unbelievable. It will be cloudy in Chicago, but and it will be clear in Minneapolis, but it's getting warmer, everybody, in the NBA. The Bulls 104, the Trailblazers 96, and the Timberwolves will be facing off against the Thunder tonight. And in the NHL, well, they had a night off, and so there we are. But I've got my gospel sister, Pam Morris-Walton, with me today, giving me some good news. How you doing, Pam Morris-Walton? I'm doing wonderful. It's so good to hear your voice. And know that God woke us all up this morning for another new day we've never seen before. It feels good. We woke up. We can make it through the day. Yeah, we can make it through the day. Yes, we can. So So today, I wanted to share the good news of examine yourself. Just two words. Examine yourself. I believe there... Uh, Santita, and to your wonderful viewers and listeners, I believe there are about three, maybe there are more questions, but I think there are about three questions that sometimes can haunt all of us. Our deepest desire is that the answer would always be yes. Did I do the right thing? Am I doing the right thing now? Will I do the right thing? Those are the three questions. Did I do the right thing? Am I doing the right thing now? Will I do the right thing? In my own personal journey, my own personal journey, I have received healing by just those questions, examining those questions, realizing you haven't lived up to your potential in that You let a dream die. Don't let it die. Live out your dream. Certain scriptures, certain scriptures speak to me. In Corinthians, uh, this caught my attention. It tells us in the book of Corinthians to examine ourselves. In the book of Timothy, it encourages us to say, stir up the gift that is in thee. Stir up the gift that is in thee. So, In order to examine yourself, I came up with a few questions, and it's going to be just a few. Are you excited to get up in the morning? I just spoke of that. Are you excited to get up in the morning? What are you happy? What are you happy about in your life right now? 
What are you happy about in your life right now? We're examining ourselves. Do you have a purpose in your life? Are you committed to the purpose? What are you grateful for? What are you grateful for in your life? Who do you love? Who loves you? What do you do when you know you need to be doing this and know I don't think I want to do it? Examine yourself. Do you feel your work is rewarding? Are you happy with your body? Are you happy with your health? Are you? Do you look forward? This is the 29th day in a new year, 2024. Do you look forward to the future with confidence? Let's examine ourselves. That's it. Let's have a great day. That's a whole lot. But you know what? Before you go, examining oneself is a challenge, right? Because you think we're honest Mm -hmm. when we look at ourselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we cannot procrastinate. We must do that. We must take the time to do that so we can move forward. Santita? Don't get up every day and say, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Oh, yes, I am going to make it. I know who loves me. I know what I must accomplish today. I know what I must do now. Lord, stir up the gift that's in me. Let me move forward. The past is yesterday. But the future is today. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. No, 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 no. That's it. And that's what no, you're living for. No. You said you wanted to get here, so now you're here. Make it happen. I love it. <laughs> yeah, make it happen. I love it. Yeah, you can How do it. Can we can all do it. Not just one, not just a couple of people, but everybody can do that. Hmm. Yesterday is gone. This is a new day. No matter where you're listening, it's still morning, I believe. Unless you're really in, in China or, or Russia or, 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 or Switzerland. This is the morning. So we got the whole day, Santita, in front of us. Okay. I, I'm really through this time. I'm not going to say no more. That's it. I love you. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? I love you, too. Yeah, I just My love, book is 57 I, Days. Okay. <laughs> My book is 57 Days. I was in the hospital instead of the 27 days wait for a new heart. So my book is my story. I tell my story. It is called 57 Days. You can get it on PamMoreSpeaks.com. That's an autographed copy. Okay, I only have paper books with me now, sold out of the hard books. But you can get them any day, any day on Amazon.com because my story is real life in real time. And I'm still here breathing. I'm still here breathing with a donor's heart, and I am a donor. I love you. Have a great day. I love you. I love you. I love you. Pam Morris Walton, everybody. Get that book, 57 days, 57 days, everybody. Got to wait for a new heart. And some of us need to do that. And the heart's already in your chest. <laughs> about that. A change of heart, a change of mind. I love it. 
Pam Morris Walton, everybody. We love our gospel sister. I love you, Pam Morris Walton. I love you. We've got Dr. Shanina Knighton with us, infection preventionist, registered nurse, college lecturer, mom, wife, businesswoman. She does it all while being healthy. I love it. Everybody around you has, has had COVID. We've had colds. We've had everything. Everybody but you. <laughs> that just occurred to me. <laughs> I need to pay attention to you. Although, honestly, my hallmark of helpfulness is not not getting the illness, but it's being able to. It's also is being able to recover. That is something that you made us keenly aware of. How you doing today, Doctor Shanina Knighton? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. What's on your mind today? Um, I think maybe talking, well, for one, is interesting because you're right. I have been fortunate enough to still continue to escape COVID, but can tell you that I have had a couple of common colds um, that have mm-hmm. surfaced um, that I've been able to get over or two, just feeling like I'm coming down with something. Making sure that I'm like, I would say, maybe dosing up on my vitamin C, making sure that I'm getting, you know, some lemon and ginger in my body during those times, Um, making sure that I was cutting down on sugar, getting some exercise, and making sure that I was getting some rest. So if I felt like that little itch in my throat or I had a little bit of, you know, let's say, um, from a cough, those would be some of the things that I would start to put in place. Even so much so, like, you know, not necessarily drinking ginger tea, but would cut ginger up like as if I was taking little small pills and taking some ginger. So, well, I have wait, my wait, wait, stop. Hold, hold on, because I want to get that straight. Because when I have now, when I start to feel a little achy, sick, I start doing that, too. So you're saying that even when you feel the beginnings of something, there's, there's something that you can do to help shore up your body so you can fight it back before it becomes something more serious. Is that it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's important, like we talk about health, but gut health is one of the major drivers of how we end up being well or ill. Um, our stomach filling off is something that we get as one of the very first signs or symptoms. When we put food in our body, that's what's going to fuel us of being better or getting disease. And so, yes, if something is starting to come up, then that's what I do. That is one of my methods because I know that, you know, let's say ginger is filled with vitamin C. It's anti-inflammatory. So if something's going on in my body that is causing, let's say, inflammation, then I know that it's going to assist with that as well as improving gut health. And, again, these are remedies everyone has, like, let's say, their thing. But for me, there is a pride. There is a freedom. There is a peace of mind that comes with knowing how you're going to feel waking up every day opposed to not. And sometimes we have to make sure that we're paying attention to if we eat something, is it making us have that tickle in our throat? Is it making us feel like we're sick? Sometimes it's not necessarily that you're coming down with a cold or illness. 
but it simply could be that your body doesn't react well with the ingredients of that food that you're eating. And so it's very important that we pay attention to that because when people say, oh, well, I don't know why I got this rash or where it came from, or, oh, I don't know why my stomach is hurting, we must evaluate these factors. You know, I started doing that with my stomach, you know, now, and I'm very, very, very careful. Um, if you if you have a bad reaction to a food, do you think is it, is it automatically an allergy or it means? Or should you should we be tested for food allergies as well as we get our annual physicals? So typically, if someone does that. They go and see, you know, a special, they might see it, um, sometimes they'll see an immunologist, you'll have people see dermatologists, you know, because they'll sometimes do allergy testing through skin, they'll do it through food, like, they'll see people specifically geared towards, you know, allergies, and so it may not necessarily be your primary that will be able to assist you through that process, however, if that is something that is happening to you, your primary is typically your first line of action that you would tell, and they would then give you a referral um, or some sort of documentation to go see a specialist to follow up on it. What, what, what are what should we be what should we be doing from day to day, just in terms of? I mean, you say inflammation, you can look at a lot of people. I mean, because inflammation is something that I have to deal with, and I really, I think I'm pretty successful at it. But you see a lot of swollen feet, a lot of swollen ankles, a lot of swelling. Is that inflammation, and where does that come from? So that would be called edema. Mm-hmm. And that swelling that people get is typically when they have blood that is pulling to one area of their body. Um, it could mean that they're retaining water, or it could mean that their blood is just not being distributed properly because of some sort of underlying condition. So if someone is experiencing, let's say, you know, swelling, and it's not typical, that would be a reason to follow up. With your is that, is that indicative sure. of your heart? Is that your heart? What is it? Because whenever my it mother could says, be. well, that's what she says. Okay. It it could be. Um, also, too, if you're, let's say, an uh, avid walker or something like that, it could be indicative of that. So if you see edema, if it if it goes yeah, like down after a day or so, should you be worried about it, or do you, if it lingers, do you worry about it, or, or should you be concerned when I say worry? Yeah, if you're elevating, like let's say your legs, or you're trying to offset it, then you would say to yourself, like, hey, if I've been elevating my feet, if I've been doing things to decrease it, then maybe I should go see someone. Someone having a heavy salt intake could be the reason for that. Someone walking or standing on their feet for long duration of time, you know, that could be an indication of it as well. So it's good just to be more safe than sorry, just to make sure that you're not experiencing some sort of heart failure or circulation problems that will prevent um, things from circulating properly. Hmm. Is it necessary to get a physical every year? 
it is essential because it at least helps you to gauge from year to year where you are. So, for example, I'll use the a factor of blood pressure or weight. If my blood pressure was 150 over 90 and this year, but last year it was 140 over 90, you know that it's gone up by 10 points. And if that is the case, then that right there would be an indicator that, hey, my blood pressure is going up. So you're at least able to compare their annual exams to each other to understand, is your condition getting better? Is it getting worse? Should you be paying attention to something that you're not? And so typically labs are drawn at these visits, and they can help tell a story if someone is coming down with the illness or if they have some sort of chronic condition that needs to be um, managed or prevented. Dr. Shanita Knighton, everybody. You know, because as I get older, I'm much more conscious. But I think COVID made us more conscious as well. And um, I think we really need to, what did you say, be the CEO of our own health? Does that mean that you self-diagnose? I got about thirty seconds. Or does that mean you just need to go to the doctor, <laughs> or go to, or go to a nurse, nurse practitioner? I mean, what does that mean? That means go see a provider for a second opinion. You know your body, and sometimes you might second guess yourself and downplay your illness. However, do not downplay what you're feeling, because again, if you do not make time for your wellness. You will be forced to make time for your illness. <laughs> Dr. Shanina Knight and everybody. Hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Think about it, everybody. Think about it and be about it. Please take care of yourselves. This is, this is it. This is all we got. <laughs> this is it. Take care of yourself. Let's look at our health, everybody. I mean, our political health. Now we're looking at troops, troops, who might be drawn into a wider conflict. You know, the speculation has been for many, many years that our dear, dear friend and ally, Israel, over in the Middle East, that they wanted us to get into a conflict with Iran. Well, that could happen now. What do you think about that? What do you think about the killing of these three military personnel, the injuring of more than 30 others, at least 34, uh, in Jordan. Will this pull us officially, militarily, bodily into this conflict? And if that is the case, are you willing to do it? And what about Nancy Pelosi saying that if you call for a ceasefire, you're aligned with Putin? You know, they did that to Dr. King because he was calling for justice. He was aligned with the Soviet Union with Russia. Think about it, everybody. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey 
everybody. Welcome, welcome back to the San Peter Jackson Show. You know there is so much going on in this world today, and we are here for it on the San Peter Jackson Show. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. What do you think about these ceasefire resolutions sprouting up in cities all over the country calling for a ceasefire? What are the political implications of that? What are the business implications of that? What do you think about... Speaker Emeritus of the U.S. House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, saying that if you're calling for a ceasefire, you need to be investigated by the FBI because you are on Putin's message and you're aligned with Russia. What do you think about that? What do you think about the pushback that President Biden is beginning to get on the campaign trail? Do a lot at you, but you will, you're here for it. Call me at 77, call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Let's talk about this today because there is a lot, um, that I think we need to go over. I want to know what your thoughts are about all of these pressing issues. And we've got Jonah Karsh from If not now. So glad. And, of course, brilliant um, jazz artist as well. You thought I forgot about that. We still have to do something, Jonah. But that's another part of our lives. That's right. And we've got Reverend Dr. Todd Deering from the National Leadership Team of Rainbow Push and the senior pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church. Brilliant. Uh, historian from the University of Arizona, always getting up real early to be with us, Dr. David Gibbs and Dwight McKee. We just had a tremendous gathering yesterday. Um, of course, Aaron Niederman and some, some of our brothers and sisters from If Not Now and people from all over showed up at Rainbow Push at 4 o'clock yesterday. We are organizing. It's really, really exciting to watch all of this. Ari Blumkatz and everybody. Um, and so many people uh, from all backgrounds who really want to make some positive change. And so let's get right to it. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Do we have Attorney Robert Patillo? We'll, we'll get him shortly. But let's start with you, Jonas. Yep, I'm here. Jonas Karsh. All right, sweetie, I'm going to come to you shortly. But let me start with you, uh, Jonah Karsh, in Chicago. Immediately after October 7th, there was a vote supporting Israel. Of course, we all sympathize with Israel, and we still do, because the attacks by Hamas were horrific. They were horrific, and they are horrific. We need to get to the bottom of it. We need to figure out why there was this intelligence failure, particularly an intelligence failure with a group with whom Israel has been so closely aligned in the past. They've helped us align to them. Uh, that having been said, killing 1,200 people is never, ever, ever justifiable. That having been said, uh, Jonah, you and others have been pushing uh, for support for the Palestinians for something more balanced. Talk to us. Yeah, and I, and I think I really want to underline what you said just now, Tantita, that in the week after October 7th, the city council passed a resolution that said, we stand with Israel. And, of course, you know, there was grief in Israel that week. Um, but what we have seen since is that the government of Israel, the same government that the city council stood with, they should have stood with the Israeli people, but not the country of Israel, not the government of Israel, because that country, that government is now carrying out genocide. And that government also failed to protect its own citizens on October 7th and is sending 18- and 19-year-olds off to fight in this war that's putting them at risk. Um, so we... Uh, now we are calling for peace. We're calling for a ceasefire. And since October 7th, 
this is an effort that started with a couple of progressive council members and really a coalition of progressive staffers who wrote a letter to the mayor and the city council saying, we need to pass a ceasefire resolution. We're a progressive city. The people of Chicago want peace and justice in the Middle East. We need to right this wrong of this resolution that we passed in October and start a ceasefire. Originally, these folks were laughed out of the room. Uh, They were seen as fringe. They were seen as radical. They got only about uh, eight original co-sponsors on uh, a different version of this ceasefire resolution. Uh, the resolution, the, there was a lot of uh, parliamentary maneuvering, and there was a ton, a ton of, there are 158 organizations, I believe, that have joined this coalition that started with just the progressive staffers that are calling for a ceasefire in the city of Chicago. Tomorrow, uh, uh, Chicago public school students at, I believe, over five or six high schools across the city are doing walkouts and walking to some of their aldermen's offices, I believe. Uh, to urge them to support the ceasefire resolution. And we've gone from uh, around eight people uh, that were considered uh, public co-sponsors to, I believe, about 20 to 22 people that have publicly committed to vote yes. But we are trying to push this thing over the finish line. The vote got delayed. The final vote is going to be on Wednesday. And I want your listeners to know, Santita, that there's a huge organized opposition to this resolution, and we're asking people to give their city council members a call and urge them to vote yes on this resolution, just to name a few members that have not come out publicly that you would think should. You know, we in the third ward, Pat Dowell, seventh ward, Greg Mitchell, eighth ward, Michelle Harris, ninth ward, Anthony Beal, just to name a few, 24th ward, uh, Monique Scott, 27th ward, Walter Burnett, 18th ward, Derek Curtis. 16th Ward, Stephanie Coleman, 15th Ward, Ray Lopez. I could go on, but there are tons and tons of people. You know, the Progressive Caucus is pretty firmly behind this, but there are a lot of members uh, that are not in the Progressive Caucus that have not come out in support, and we really need to see them uh, show their support, join the mayor who came out last week and get this resolution across the finish line. Uh, And we need people all across the city calling their aldermen to make that happen. So, Jonah, why are they pushing back against this? I mean, certainly we should have supported the Israeli people, no question about that, uh, after the Hamas attacks. But why is there pushback against supporting Palestinian people? Um, I, think, I think it really depends on which council members you're talking about. But um, what, what needs to be said is that there's been an organized effort um, by uh, – pro-Israel lobbying groups uh, in the city of Chicago to oppose this resolution, to make council members feel like there's just been a whole host of of different uh, arguments lobbed at council members to try to scare them out of voting for this. One of them is that by voting for this, you're going to be uh, standing against the Jewish community and enabling Hamas. You're going to fan the flames of anti-Semitism, is what one alderman said. And this is, again, we're talking about calling for peace here. You know, this this is going to help both uh, Israeli people and Palestinian people. And, of course, we know that Palestinians are taking the brunt. But there's also been talk about, you know, the Democratic Convention being in Chicago and support for this resolution hurting Joe Biden. Talk about the city losing economic investment. Talk about uh, the city losing funding for the migrant crisis. Just a whole. It seems like you know, in the in the coalition group that I'm a part of, we're hearing about uh, new 
arguments that are drawn up every day to try to peel off some of these aldermen because I think our opposition is scared that that this is going to pass. Hmm. So what are our marching orders? What do we need to do now? Because you need to support the people that it's the innocents who are being hurt, Jonah. It's the Israeli mm-hmm. people who are begging for Netanyahu. Would you bring my family back, please? What's the problem? I mean, I don't understand that. I'd be sick waiting for my family to get back while he's continuing to amp up uh, the attacks. And then you've got uh, the genocide of the Palestinians. Nobody is winning over here. Certainly the people are not. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, we call for a ceasefire because there's a genocide going on in Gaza because the Palestinian people in Gaza are facing the threat of ethnic cleansing if they haven't already been permanently displaced because they're in they're starving. There's there's the risk of famine if it hasn't already started. Hospitals are out of service. Universities have been destroyed. I mean, it's just utter devastation. And the human rights of Palestinians are are uh, under huge, huge threat as long as this continues. But we also know that the safety of Israeli and Palestinian people are intertwined. And so often they're tried to be pitted against each other. But there's an argument that you need to bomb Hamas in order to get the hostages to come home. Uh, there's only been one hostage this entire war that has been brought home by the Israeli military discovering them. In fact, the Israeli military killed three hostages uh, inadvertently, thinking that they were, as they said, thinking that they were members of Hamas. Um, and uh, the, the only way that hostages have been brought home is when we had a temporary pause in the ceasefire. So not only for, for the Palestinians that are enduring unspeakable atrocities, but for those hostages that are in Gaza. That, 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 both of those are reasons that we should be calling for a ceasefire. And we want the city council to know, and we need you to call your aldermen before Wednesday and tell them to vote yes on this resolution, that calling for a ceasefire is calling for peace and that it's going to help the safety of the Palestinian people, that it's going to help the safety of the Israeli people. And there's, there's never a reason not to call for peace. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. Dwight McKee, you have a lot of experience in this particular space. Um, when you see uh, the Progressive Caucus pushing for this resolution, but interestingly, interestingly, some black alders are not are reluctant or they're not supporting this. I mean, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's the essence of hypocrisy. I mean, it's some of the same ornament that called for reparations for the uh, displacement and the subjugation of blacks that happened 100 years ago, 150 years ago, uh, ignoring what's happening to the Israeli, to the uh, Palestinians. It's happening today. How hypocritical can you be? These people are getting murdered every day, and yet you look at your political career and just refuse to take a moral position on death and destruction, mostly of women and children. And I'm glad he called the names. And I think those of goodwill should uh, make sure that those aldermen who uh, refuse to take this position uh, have an accountability factor for it on Election Day. They had no problem. Why do you think that's important? Because we, because we need to know who these people are involved, who they, who they actually work for. Are there people dealing with the moral imperative of uh, trying to save uh, uh, people under siege? Or are they 
succumbing to political pressure from uh, lobbyist groups. I mean, they had no problems calling for a resolution when it was when Israel was involved. None. I think it should be beyond a resolution. Personally, I think that we should be talking about uh, boycotts as a city to those in Israel who supported this Holocaust. I think that that ceasefire is only part of it. I think we we should be calling for uh, after the ceasefire some kind of restitution or some kind of two-state system so the Palestinians have a real life and they're not subjugated to uh, this this fascism. I think we're just hypocritical. Oh, absolutely. I'm Robert Patillo, but that then pulls us into BDS, right? And there's always been so much pushback on the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, but that is what worked with South Africa, Robert Patillo. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I think that people are just now realizing uh, just how entrenched Israel is uh, in international politics. Uh, the, the, something I found out this weekend, uh, America makes a new stealth fighter, the F-35. And officially, there are three different variants. There's the F-35A for the Air Force, F-35B for the Marines, the vertical takeoff and landing one, F-35C for the Navy that takes off from aircraft carriers. There's also an F-35I specifically for Israel, uh, that has their aeronautics in it, that has their weaponry in it, that is specifically made for Israel. It's the only allied nation on Earth that has their own specific variant of the F-35. The reason that I bring this up is that our military industrial complex is so intertwined with Israel that Israel might as well be a branch of the U.S. military. Uh, our economic system in the Middle East is so intertwined with Israel. Look at the Abraham Accords under President Trump. Uh, look at the trade agreements that have been made between uh, other Middle Eastern nations and Israel, that we can't decouple ourselves uh, from uh, from the Israeli government. And you look at Europe, uh, much of their trade in the Middle East has to go directly through Israel. So the, the reason that Netanyahu feels so confident that he can carry out the genocide of nearly 30,000 Palestinians is he understands he holds the entire earth at a fulcrum, uh, that Western countries literally cannot decouple themselves. This is why when President Obama was in office, Netanyahu walked into the White House like he owned the White House, and President Obama was just a visitor renting a seat there, because he understands that his power gets to be eternal. That he can, uh, He's been in every iteration of power in Israel. If they indict him, he comes back. If they vote him out, he comes back. And his goal is no longer is, is very clear. He does not want a two-state solution. He does not want the 1967 line he doesn't want the 1947 lines. He wants the historical kingdoms of Israel and Judah. He wants to take the lands of the Palestinians. He says he wants to put them under Israeli control and administration. And at some point, the Western nations are going to have to rein them in because at this point in time, we are all complicit in the genocide he's creating. And at this point, he's been in office so long, he's created the most right-wing government in Israeli history. There is nothing to stop him from his goals. And America has to call funding. We have to be make more firm statements. Even when the United Nations came out and said that Israel should avoid genocide, that Yahoo can simply ignore that. If you're going to put one nation on earth above all others, then can America really call 
call ourselves the leader of the free world, or are we the junior partner to Israel, since we clearly have no control over their actions and cannot even criticize them without um, political, economic, and military repercussions? Well, I mean, that's, that begs the question, are we linked to trust, Robert? Robert? I'm sorry, can you say that again? I mean, are, are we linked? Are we linked or are we trapped? <laughs> I think we're trapped. I, I think it's very clear that U.S. Uh, military foreign policy in the region uh, is completely controlled by Israel. And if Israel cuts off our access to our military bases in the region, uh, we lose the ability to project power throughout the, uh, the Middle East. Uh, right now, when we're dealing with the Houthi uh, rebels in Yemen, we need to dock in Israel uh, ostensibly to re- be able to resupply our ships. Uh, when you're dealing with the Hezbollah attacks that are uh, taking place uh, uh, in Lebanon and Syria. Well, we have to go through Israel to get there. If you're looking at the attacks on U.S. servicemen in Iraq uh, by uh, by Iranian-backed forces, that we have to project power through Israel to be able to have a presence in the region uh, because that's where the natural resources necessary to run Western uh, civilization come from. So it's, it's very clear that we are trapped in this relationship. Uh, I can't think of another nation on Earth that can simply look at America and thumb their nose at us and know that there will be absolutely zero repercussions. There is nothing that we can do to constrain Netanyahu. And our Congress people have to talk about this while we're having these conversations about the supplemental spending package. Uh, and the Western nations have to talk about this because the, the, the king of England doesn't have the power to constrain Netanyahu. We've, we've created a monster uh, that we have no ability to, to reign in our control. I mean, Dr. Gibbs, how how are we to function? I mean, the founding fathers helped me to understand this. So did I did I misread something? Did I miss something here? They did not want us to get involved in foreign entanglements because they saw this coming. With Washington in particular, Dr. Gibbs. Yes, there has definitely been this. Um tendency of the United States to want to establish itself after the end of the Cold War, even during the Cold War, but especially since the end of the Cold War, as um, a global hegemon, you might say a global dictator, uh, with Israel to some extent an expression, a regional expression of that American tendency. Um, you know, the U.S. does get some benefit from Israel in a certain sense in that it's an extension of American power. I don't think the American people gets anything positive out of that. But American, the American foreign policy establishment and the military-industrial complex have clearly benefited by this relationship. I mean, uh, you know, the gentleman I spoke before was quite right that, uh, you know, you get, you know, there's a real integration of uh, the two military-industrial complexes of Israel and the United States, and one of great benefit to the stockholders uh, in those companies. But, again, that's not the American public that's benefiting here. Um, I think, you know, what we may be having in this country it's something of a populist reaction against this sort of agenda of power projection at the expense of the American public. And it is to some extent bipartisan and cross-ideological in that on the left and on the right, you're getting a significant reaction against it. Um, what I would like to see ideally is linking up of opposition to U.S. support for Israel and U.S. intervention in Ukraine, which has sort of fallen off the map. But that's been a disaster, the U.S. intervention in Ukraine. For the Ukrainian people, it's been a disaster. For everybody in the world, it's been a disaster. 
And it's been a disaster also for the American public in the sense that it has raised prices. The sanctions against Russia have lowered living standards of the people of this country. Your support for Israel is now entangling us in a regional war, which, again, is likely to disrupt trade and raise prices and lower living standards. The United States has been spending billions a year every year to last 50 years subsidizing the Israeli military with no benefit to the public of the United States, but at their expense. I think all of these things need to be addressed. and they need, I think we should maybe set aside temporarily logical objections and be willing to work with libertarians, with, yes, populists on the right, just because that's how politics works. You make coalitions. You form common interests. Uh, I think there's a real potential there. One of the reasons you're getting pushback by Nancy Pelosi by saying it's all a Russian conspiracy, it's all a Putin conspiracy, is I think it's a real fear that, um, you know, the public might have their say and the public might not stand for the kinds of policies we're seeing in Gaza, we're seeing in the Ukraine, we're seeing in the Red Sea right now. And, uh, you know, they might lose control. People like Nancy Pelosi may lose control and they're sort of lashing out. In this case, with utterly ridiculous statements that are discrediting to them, but it does suggest to me a certain desperation that there's a a populist resurgence coming up against these policies. And in my view, that's a good thing. That should be encouraged. Hmm. The last two minutes belong to you, Reverend Dr. Yeary. What do you see? Particularly at the black church, we're going to be talking about that in the in the upcoming segment. They have gone to Biden and they have said, "Look." We need a ceasefire, and our support for you depends is 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 going to be twinned with this, Reverend Doctor Healy. Well, good morning, Santita, to your guest, to the thousand or so of us, I among them, who signed the letter to the president um, asking, demanding a ceasefire. I think it kind of reinforces that this is not a one-off. This is not. Uh, a disconnect from what is going on within uh, the the general public. As a matter of fact, the the faith community is part of the general public. We are the general public, and so I think you're seeing that there is continuity and consistency in the messaging to uh, the administration. Well, I want to go back to something that Rob, Robert said. It is not that Israel is an arm of the U.S. military. It is that the U.S. military is an arm of the Israeli government. I think we got to put it in the framework that whatever Israel's military interests are, immediately the U.S. is expected to fall in line. And that shows up even in the face of a uh, ever-expanding in the region that's going on right now. You're starting to see the loss of the life of U.S. service members because you're starting to see retaliation coming from uh, groups allied with, they would argue, with Hamas. But this thing that somehow or other, uh, one side has to sit by and watch their people die while the other side gets to dictate to the rest of the world the terms under which we will resolve this conflict. And not only is it problematic, it's just not going to work out that way. And so you will either see increasing pressure for a ceasefire and a call for one, which is going to be really, really important, or you're going to see a regional war that gets out of control. And that's the last thing that this administration needs in an election year 
to have the United States caught in the quagmire of a war that it does not control the military or the political objectives and the outcomes in the process. We will then become proxy to Israel's interests, and that is exactly what's going on before our very eyes. And faith leaders who understand the history, remember these faith leaders, we read the Bible too. We read the Torah too. We, 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 we understand the, the context so that somehow or other we don't have a clue. Not only is it problematic when it comes to the political theology of the interests of human rights, who else can speak to it except black preachers? So we're not going anywhere. We're just trying to give the president a little runway so that he can take lead on the issue. Hmm. Back with more of the San Diego Jackson Show in just a few minutes. As a veteran, you get a lot of advice, but wisdom's harder to come by. A lot of people imagine themselves in our shoes without understanding the weight. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Monday, January 29, 2024. If you're waiting for the Super Bowl, guess what? Now you know who's going to be in it. That's right. Can you believe it? What what games yesterday? They were fantastic. The Kansas City Chiefs will face off against the San Francisco 49ers on November. I mean, excuse me, on February 11th. Everybody, the Chiefs cheered on by. Taylor Swift, of course, beat the top-seeded Baltimore Ravens 17-10, to and the 49ers pulled off a stunning comeback against the Lions. I'm still heartbroken. 34-31. to Wow, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm Santita Jackson. Let's talk about the Middle East. There was a drone attack that killed three U.S. personnel uh, yesterday and injured at least 34 others. Will that pull America into an active military conflict in the, in the Middle East? as this conflict is widened. What do you think about that? What do you think about Nancy Pelosi saying that if you are calling for a ceasefire, you are giving us Putin's message and you are aligned with Russia, then you need to be investigated by the FBI. She said that on CNN yesterday. Wow. Call us at 773-763-9278. And what, what about the ceasefire resolution in Chicago? Our mayor has now come out in support of it. What will that mean? As many black alders are not supporting it, but progressives are. Call us at 773-763-9278. As more than 1,000 black ministers all around the country are saying, President Biden, if you do not support a ceasefire, we will not support you. That's potentially millions of voters, everybody. Call us at 773-763-9278. I knew I threw a lot at you, but you're ready for it. Hey, everybody, these are the headlines. Three U.S. troops were killed in a drone strike on a base in Jordan. The attack took place yesterday near Jordan's border with Iraq and Syria. At least 34 other U.S. service members were injured. President Biden blamed groups supported by Iran, which have been attacking U.S. troops since the outbreak of the Israeli Gaza war, and he vowed 
to respond. What will that mean? Donald Trump will hold up to pay more than $83 million to E. Jean Carroll. He was found liable last year for sexually abusing the writer decades ago in a closet at Bergdorf Goodman, uh, the high-end fashion store in New York City, and for defaming her when she spoke out. Friday's ruling determined additional charges that he owed. President Biden vowed to shut down an overwhelmed border if a bipartisan Senate deal passes. Biden said he would use emergency powers granted by the immigration bill being considered by the Congress when the U.S. border becomes overwhelmed as it is now. Call us at 773-763-9278. Excuse me, I want to hear your thoughts about this. Wow, here we go. Oh, my gosh. Chicago, 38 degrees and cloudy. Minneapolis, 44 degrees and clear. And here we go. That's it in sports. And I'm going to get some water so I can get through the show. But Jonah, Karsh, tell me about what happened, what's happening in Chicago. Yeah, and hope you can get some water. It sounds like you got a nasty <laughs> cough there. I do. <laughs> Yeah, well, so in Chicago, we, uh, as, as your listeners may have been following in the news, uh, our city council is set to consider uh, a ceasefire, a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, this was the result of a grassroots effort that started with staffers of, Ald- of uh, Alders and in the mayor's office. They put together a grassroots organization, of uh, a grassroots coalition of over 150 community-based organizations and social justice groups in Chicago. Um, and it's been a real master class in people power. They were told there's no chance this isn't going to happen. And now we're at a point where uh, we went from eight co-sponsors to almost 20 that are now uh, in, I, 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 there's, there's some that are co-sponsors and some that are publicly in support, but we're around 20 to 22 that are publicly claimed support, but we need your help getting this resolution across the finish line. The vote is going to be on Wednesday. Uh, Santita, you were mentioning that that a lot of uh, members of the Black Caucus have not uh, yet come out in support. I want to name also that, you know, it's not just black members. We've got members, white members, Hispanic members, uh, Asian members of the city council that have not come out in support. And maybe I kind of did a quick run through, but maybe just for your listeners, I'll just go, I'll just name, list real quick all the people that have not yet come out in support of this resolution so that your listeners can make sure to please give their offices a call and tell them that you're a Chicago resident that supports the ceasefire before Wednesday. I'll just go through those names real quick if you'll grant me that opportunity. Absolutely. Um, yeah, in the second ward, Brian Hopkins, third ward, Pat Dowell, uh, seventh ward, Greg Mitchell, eighth ward, Michelle Harris, ninth ward, Anthony Beal, tenth ward, Peter Chico, eleventh ward, Nicole Lee, thirteenth ward, Marty Quinn, fifteenth ward, Ray Lopez, sixteenth ward, Stephanie Coleman, seventeenth ward, David Moore, 18th Ward, Derek Curtis, 19th Ward, Matt O'Shea, 23rd Ward, Silvana Tavares, 24th Ward, Monique Scott, 27th Ward, Walter Burnett, 28th, Jason Urban, 29th, Chris Taliaferro, 31st, Felix Cardona, 32nd, Scott Wagasback, 34th, Bill Conway, 36th, Gil Viegas, 37th, Emma Mitz, 38th, Nick Sposato, 39th, Sam Nugent, 41st, Anthony Napolitano, 42nd, Brendan Riley, 43rd, Timmy Knutson, 44th, Bennett Lawson, and 50th, Deborah Silverstein. So that it's a big list. 
but we are, but it's that, and I know it sounds like a lot, but you have to understand we've got a city council of 50 people and we're all, and we need 26 for this to pass. And we're almost there. We need like four to five, three to four of the people that I named to officially get on the record, identify themselves as a yes for this resolution. And we can make history, become the largest city in the United States to have called for a ceasefire and send a message, uh, to, to uh, our president, who wants to host the Democratic convention in this city, who is going to host the Democratic convention in this city, that, that the people of Chicago stand for peace and justice in Gaza, what, peace and justice for Palestinian people. Well, what would it say if this resolution is voted down with the Democratic convention coming here with two-thirds of Americans wanting a ceasefire? What, what would that say? What kind of signal would that send, Jonah? Well, you know, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm very optimistic. You know, I'm, you know, you, you don't, you don't say it's over till it's over. We absolutely need your help. We want people to call their, all their people. And I, and I'm going to, I'm operating on the assumption and the hope, you know, you know, I worry about everything. Oh, I'm keeping hope alive. Yeah. I'm keeping hope but alive. I, but I have faith that the yeah. people are going to call their, all their people and that we're going to get to 26 and this is going to pass. You know, I, I, if it doesn't, I think it'll be it'll be really sad to see um, that that some of our that you know we we have so much polling now we have eighty uh, percent of Democrats for months now saying that they support a ceasefire we have fifty percent of Joe Biden voters from twenty twenty in a poll last week saying that they believe that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza uh, you don't need to mm-hmm. believe that Israel is committing genocide to call for a ceasefire uh, you just need to believe in peace um, and and we have people like. Senator Dick Durbin, you know, not not a flaming leftist, not a progressive, who's who's calling for a ceasefire. We have uh, people that are in the mainstream of the Democratic Party, over 60 members of the House of Representatives, and not just the squad, but, you know, mainstream establishment Democrats that have looked at what's going on and said, this needs to stop. We're calling for a ceasefire. Um, And if we can't get 26 people on our city council in, in a progressive city with a, with a progressive tradition. I think that speaks very uh, poorly of our elected officials in Chicago. And, and uh, if, 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 it, if, uh, if, if uh, the shameful thing happens that this wouldn't pass, I think the people of Chicago would still stand up and make it known where the vast majority of us stand on this issue. I think you have to go on the record either way. Little up or down, I'm keeping hope alive that this will pass. That having been said, I think it's very instructive that it is so difficult to pass it. We have got, of course, this tremendous panel talking with us today about this issue and talking about the 1,000 black ministers across the country from conservative and progressive delegations, uh, congregations who are saying we need a ceasefire. And Mr. President, they've met with the president. They said our support for you is contingent upon your calling for a ceasefire. This is big, 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 big news. As the president goes out into, he's on the campaign trail, and he is getting pushback on ceasefire. So what do you think about this? And then you're hearing congregations shouting back, um, not ceasefire now, but they're saying, hey, um, four more years, as they've been instructed to do by the Democratic National Committee. But that's not really reflective of where people are. So I want you to call me. Call me at 773-763-9278. What about a ceasefire? It's really, really simple. Of course, we've got Attorney Robert Patillo, Dr. David Gibbs, Reverend Dr. Todd Geary, Jonah Karsh, 
Dwight McKee, and we're joined by Rachel Ida Buff, professor of history at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Are you surprised, uh, Rachel, by um, well, how close Chicago is? We've gone from eight votes to 20 or 22 votes. I mean, there's real people power that we're beginning to see, Rachel. Yeah, it's so beautiful, and I'm so proud of our comrades to the South. Um, You know, what we've seen since October 8th or 9th is this fluorescence, this beautiful, multiracial, multi-faith, multi-partisan movement. And I think something Jonas said is important. You don't have to, you know, like the ceasefire, you know, stopping killing mostly women and children this doesn't have to be a, a political issue. It's a moral issue. I mean, there's a lot of politics here about the U.S. relationship with Israel. You know, the fact that they could cut off U.S. aid to UNRWA, the Palestinian Refugee Assistance Agency, the U.N. agency, in one day because of vague allegations that possibly some UNRWA workers were involved with Hamas. Cut off all aid. No trial, no investigation. They could cut off all military aid, and, you know, Cory Bush and others have pointed this out. They could cut off military aid to Israel today, and the killing would stop tomorrow. This is a moral issue. Thou shalt not kill. It's pretty basic, right? You know, like, sort out what's going to happen in the region, et cetera. But as, as we've seen, it's growing into this conflagration, and Democrats are foolish, to think that this isn't going to come back around during the election, particularly when I talk to younger people, people who have not spent their entire voting lives, as you and I have, voting for the lesser of two evils in the in the election. I was thinking a little bit about your dad's campaigns in 84 and 88, which are the only times in my political life that I've gone to the polls and been like, yes, this would be good. The rest of the times I'm like, oh, uh, not that guy. And we grew up doing this. I talked to my daughter, who's 24, and who's, you know, very upset, like, like about what's going on in Gaza. And she's like, I don't know that I can bring myself to vote for Biden. And hearing Pelosi essentially red baiting the peace movement, calling for great repression against a peace movement, it's very familiar in American history. It's called witch hunting. It's McCarthyist. It's not they have no facts at all. You know, we're not in league with Putin. We're not trying to destroy America. We're not anti-Semitic. We are trying to create peace. That is a sad refuge of a, of a weak, weak political party, that they have to start going after the citizens, the majority of people in this country who want the killing with our tax monies to cease. That is a very sad moment and a politically very dangerous one, because what are they doing? What is the Democratic Party doing with Pelosi saying that, with the, the shutting down our, our aid to UNRWA because of allegations? They're going for the right-wing fascist playbook, which is like you're tarred by the brush. Oh, someone, uh, an aid worker, 102 have been murdered by Israel for their for their valiant work in Gaza. Oh, a few of them might be disloyal. Cut off the funding. Oh, the peace movement, they're disloyal. Like, we know what that is when it comes from the right. We know what that is when it's McCarthyism. We know what it is when it comes from Trump and fascism, right? But now the Democrats are doing that. That's just sad. And, like, honestly, Santita, I will drag myself to the polls and vote for Biden because I'm scared of Trump, but it will be hard for me, too. 
Well, you know, I'm not frightened of him. I think this is disgusting. You know, Dr. King was called a communist, and all yep. of his associates, Bayard Rustin, was called a communist. Because first of all, in a free America, it's not illegal for you to for you to uh, adopt any ideology you want. But this language that she used on CNN yesterday was very, very dangerous. You're giving us Putin's. Most of us don't even know who Putin is. We don't know what he thinks, and we don't care. We really, really don't. I want to be able to buy some eggs. I want to be able to afford my apartment. Exactly. You know what I mean? I I do not care about that. That is somebody else's historical issue with Russia. I don't have that. That's not my issue. But my issue is being called a communist by the establishment every time I want to desegregate America. Every time I want to make America America and make it fair, I'm called a communist. But I am a capitalist if I want to be a slave. Something about that is off. Way off. Way off. Way off. Dwight McKee, your reaction to what Nancy Pelosi said and cutting off these unrefunds and on and on and on and on. Yeah, and at the same time, they would say that we're trying to protect democracy from Trump and paint him as the bad guy. At the same time, they're trying to say that they are the purveyors of freedom and justice. And they're trying to shut down any opposition to genocide. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that that these people who pride themselves on being so patriotic and so moral, so Catholic, go to church every morning and and put their hands over their heart and 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 take out the uh the rosary every morning would be then so anti democratic and so pro murder it's a Profound contribution, uh, contradiction, and you wonder what the real motives are. Are they immoral people that are cosign is cosigning death? Do they really believe that that the moral imperative is on Israel's side, or are they, you know, part of the military-industrial complex, and they or their families are somehow benefiting from this? Fratricide. Well, you there know, is they, something they, rotten. There's something you know, rotten in Denmark. And there's something. I mean, because all these folks have their families working over in Ukraine, and no one's asking questions about it. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Attorney Robert Patillo. I think probably the biggest issue that we, I think probably the biggest issue we have is understanding the impotence of the international organizations, um, the UN, the uh, uh, all of the uh, world courts seem to have absolutely no power over Israel. Uh, and so, what what reason do countries like Iran, North Korea, uh, Russia, etc., have to follow the edicts of some of these international organizations, and we can't enforce them uh, when it comes to what Israel is doing? Right now, uh, the, the numbers are, are staggering. You know, we're closing in on thirty thousand dead since no uh, since October. Um, we're, we're talking about women, children, elderly people being murdered 
Um, and I was struck, I was on Iranian TV uh, towards the beginning of the conflict, and they were interviewing a uh, six or eight year old Palestinian boy, and he was so intelligent, so articulate, and he, he was talking about his father dying in the conflict that week. He said, well, my father died uh, this week in the conflict. My grandfather died in 2005 uh, fighting the Israelis. My great-grandfather died in 1987 fighting the Israelis. And, and the idea that this young man is going to grow up to be a cab driver or a baker uh, or anything else besides a revolutionary force fighting for the freedom of the Palestinian people, I think, is, is not supported by history. That, that You cannot bomb an idea out of existence. You can't bomb a a people out of existence. Uh, you have to negotiate. You have to create a two-state solution. You have to create a lasting peace, and that has to start with a ceasefire. Uh, and this conceptualization that uh, Netanyahu is doing anything besides simply creating the next generation that will have to uh, that the next generation of Israelis will have to fight. I think it's pretty obvious. And, and American politicians, people like John Fetterman and others who are so pro-Israeli, so pro-Zionist, are going to have to uh, uh, be the people who finally hold uh, the Israeli government to account. Because right now they feel that they have unf- the unfettered ability and the unencumbered ability to carry out their military uh, their military goals uh, in absolution of any international voices, any international, uh, uh, any international courts. And the only thing they're going to listen to is if we cut off the money. And that has to be the new call. This beyond simply a ceasefire. We have to cut off the money to Israel if we want them to stop this. Well, which takes us to this resolution. What are the political and business implications of having this resolution, uh, Jonah Karsh? The implications of having the ceasefire resolution in Chicago? Yes. Uh, I mean, it, we would become the I mean, the why do we city. need it? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot. That's, it's a good question because a lot of people have been asking, you know, what, is this, what does the city council have to do with this? Um, I, think, I think there are a few things. Number one is um, we would become the largest city in the country to have passed one of these resolutions. I think that would send a big statement about where urban America is on this issue, that people in, in across the United States who live in cities are, are more progressive and unified, you know, not, not to a person, but there's huge majorities of people are, are, are wanting a ceasefire right now. So it would send that message. Um, you know, also, we're, we're about to have the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, and, and uh, we're going to spend public money on it. Um, and and uh, the Democratic Party should know, uh, and our president should know, that uh, he's welcome for the convention, but we have, a, we have a strong disagreement. The people of Chicago have a strong disagreement with him on this issue, and he's going to have to answer for that if he wants to hold the convention here, and he's going to have to end this devastation in Gaza. So the marching orders are what? The marching orders are um, are to, I, I named a, a bunch of those alders. Um, it, it, you, you can, uh, I would say no matter who your alder person is, um, give them a call, call them every day between now and Wednesday and, and, and tell them that you're, you're their constituent and are asking them to support uh, the uh, Daniel LaSpada ceasefire resolution. There is a competing resolution that is being called the ceasefire resolution, even though it doesn't use the word ceasefire. But if you say, I'm urging you to support Daniel LaSpada's First Ward Alderman ceasefire resolution, 
call your older people over and over again. It, and you, I know your listeners are working people, but if you just so happen to have some free time on Wednesday, um, the city council meeting is happening this Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Where uh, the coalition that I'm a part of is asking people to show up around 8 o'clock at City Hall to try to get into chambers. And if you're someone that wants to support this cause, that's a great way is to, is to actually show up at City Hall and come to that city council meeting if that's something you're available to do this Wednesday. I know Reverend uh, Jackson, your father, will be there, and we're really grateful for his support, too. Oh, yeah. He's very excited about working with you and Saba and this whole coalition. It's so important. Such important work. Sending you so much love. Can't wait to have you back on tomorrow morning because we need to push this tomorrow and Wednesday um, before you get to the city council on Wednesday and certainly tomorrow. Because you need to call the alders. Is there a website that people can go to to find? Well, you should call your alder anyway just to let them know. But is there a list of the alders who are not supporting this resolution? Uh, I, w- I wish there was a really clear one website place where you could find that. Unfortunately, uh, that doesn't exist. Um, okay. But but what I, well, but I, what I would it, say right? is, is just call your older person, um, no matter okay. who they are. Um, you know, even those who are leaning yes or have said yes, you know, they can use reassurance. They're, they're getting lots of emails saying to oppose it as well from some of these pro-Israel forces in the city, and we need to make sure that the people are heard. Okay. Oh. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about, we've been talking about the ceasefire. We've been talking about President Biden and the pushback that he is beginning to get on the campaign trail. And it's sustained, it's serious, it's coming from people who want the ceasefire, it's coming from the black church, more than 1,000, more than 1,000 black churches of various sizes, and some of, I mean, some of them are the largest churches that we have, are telling President Biden that their support for him is contingent upon his calling for a ceasefire. What do you think is going to happen here? I don't think he's going to be able to frighten people of faith in, about Trump. People of faith are hard to scare. So I want to know what your thoughts are. Call me at 773. Call us at 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. And let's talk about it. There's just so much going on. Rachel, I had a buff. <laughs> I mean, Rachel being called, I mean, being told that the FBI needs to be sick on ceasefire uh, uh, supporters. It's like stunning. Yeah. And then you see the the black church, whether they're conservative congregations or not, or progressive. They're saying the ceasefire, black people identify with Gaza because of what we've been through. So it's like, wait a minute, you can't do this. You cannot do this. You can't do this. And, um, well, before I give it to you, Reverend Dr. Yeary, what do you make of all of this now? What, I mean, what is stirring up this activism in the black church? even though that has been our greatest organizing mechanism since since we've been in this country. Well, uh, what's stirring it is the residents, as you mentioned, 
are with the experience of being black in America. At the end of the day, uh, there is no other group of people in this country that has experienced the enduring hostility of the country and the indifference around issues of justice. And we see it being carried out right now. The other part is, is that black folks' interests are actually being under attack by the same kind of coordinated uh, interests that we see pushing back on the call for a ceasefire. Let's be real clear. The UNC and Harvard cases, where did that money come from to fund those cases? The on Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Who's behind the money assaulting that case? At the end of the day, the black church is real clear that we're not looking for friends. We're looking for allies. And when we realize that the folks who want us to claim some sort of loyalty to some ideology that is at times biblically suspect, then what we have an obligation to do is to make sure we do not lose our souls in the process of trying to make friends. And so what we're trying to be real clear on is if no one else understands that there is a moral imperative in this moment, the black church understands that. And we're not changing our mind. We're not backing down. We're not afraid of the FBI listening to us. We, look, we've been dealing with that for so long. We, we, we don't wonder. We expect it. So we already know. All right, here, you want to listen to something? I got something to say. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, the issue that has been raised so, so poignantly before is that this is a moral issue. This is not amoral. We're calling out a policy that is immoral, and we're making sure that there's accountability. So that, that's kind of where we are in the midst of all of this, this whole foolishness. Nancy Pelosi, CC now, now. Go retire. We've got evidence. Go on it. Thank you for your service. Now go have a seat. Because if we are so detached in our, our, our awareness of what's going on that we could be so aloof in this moment, then we, we thank you for your years of being the first woman Speaker of the House. Check that box. Write it in the history book. We've got business to take care of. Please take a seat. Hmm. Call us at 773-763-9278. What are your thoughts? I mean, how do you feel? I mean, historically, David Gibbs being tagged uh, in alignment with Russia as, you know, as being Russia aligned. That is something, as Reverend Dr. Yuri said, we're accustomed to that. Those of us in the civil rights community, those of us in the progressive community. But it's just, it's amazing that she's going into that playbook, Dr. Gibbs. It is amazing, and it does represent something of a big change in American politics, which is traditionally these kinds of uh, sort of un, you know unsubstantiated attacks against people as agents of foreign governments, agents of Russia. That has long been uh, a tradition of the Republican Party, going, of course, back to people like Joseph McCarthy and J. Edgar Hoover. Um, and there was always the sense that if you dissented on anything in the United States— uh, with regard to foreign policy or domestic policy, whether it be on the issue of U.S. relations with Russia and Soviet Union or civil rights and desegregation, union rights, whatever it may be, you, you risk being denounced as an agent of Russia. That was a Republican tradition. Uh, since 2015-2016, the Democrats seems to, seem to be doing this with even more enthusiasm than Republicans. And uh, this is only the latest case, and it's not the first time Nancy Pelosi has said things like this, and it's, um, I'm sure it won't, be, I doubt it will be the last, and it isn't just Nancy Pelosi, but I think there's a kind of, um, it must be said that there's kind of a sickness in U.S. 
politics right now, a sort of conspiratorial mindset that anything that happens must be the result of conspiracy. The Republicans clearly have this. There's no doubt about it. But I think Nancy Pelosi alerted us to the fact that sickness infects the Democratic Party as well. And we should be alert to the fact that there is a kind of um, attitude that any time the Democratic establishment doesn't get its way, any time U.S. foreign policy is challenged, it must be due to some kind of foreign conspiracy with Vladimir Putin being endowed with almost magical powers as a kind of almost cartoon character supervillain here. He's controlling everything. And no need for any substantiation or evidence, and always with an element of threat. This is intimidation. It's an effort to basically say, you better stop talking about ceasefire, or we'll have the FBI investigate you, and you know how damaging that will be to your life. So I think this is basically part of a very dysfunctional and destructive American tradition, uh, with the Democrats now um, very openly endorsing it. Attorney Robert Petillo, where do you see this going? Do you, do you see people ignoring uh, what Nancy Pelosi said, or will people have an aha moment? I think people are working their way to the aha moment. I, as I said earlier, I think people are only now understanding uh, just how much power the Israeli lobby has over American politics. Uh, and for a very long period of time, just that sentence would have had me denounced as an anti-Semite. Uh, but now when people are seeing that, well, well, no, these were not just rumors, these were not just accusations, uh, that the you can look at the donation histories of groups like APAC and uh, and and other organizations. You can uh, look at the uh, military budget where you have full line items in the U.S. military defense authorization uh, bills uh, that go directly to the Israeli government. They are so intertwined in our politics uh, that they might as well have a seat at, uh, at the Congress. I would dare say uh, Israel has a better, has a stronger voice in American politics in Puerto Rico um, than Guam, than Washington, D.C. Uh, when it comes to pushing policy forward uh, and the ability to uh, uh, control the actions of uh, U.S. elected officials. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is simply parroting the old school of American politics. This is why we have to have this generational shift uh, because uh, what Nancy Pelosi is saying is the orthodoxy that all of us have heard our entire lives coming out of Washington, D.C., that we have to have complete support for Israel no matter what. They can do no wrong. They have never done anything wrong. They are simply fighting for their existence. Uh, and we hear this mainly from the older politicians uh, who have not come to realize that well, that's not where the base of the Democratic Party is at today, and that's not where the American people are at today. And there's going to be an aha moment when they continue to see these poll numbers sliding down and the Trump poll numbers sliding up, uh, because at the end of the day, you can have that position all you want, but it's going to do you no good if you're not in power. Uh, and and uh, the Democrats are going to have to, co- are slowly coming around to the position of pushing for the ceasefire, for pushing for our disinvestment uh, from uh, from the Israeli politics, and also to take away the weapons of war, the tools that we give uh, that are being used in our name to commit genocide against the Palestinian people. Practices may change. You think policy is going to change, just given the nature of our, uh, particularly our intricate military an intelligence uh, relationship with Israel. I mean, we are completely wedded. 
And the interesting thing is, uh, when we talk about politics making strange bedfellows, um, that the left of the Democratic Party and the far right of the Republican Party have kind of circled around and met each other back to back on these issues. You have... Uh, Conservatives who don't want to send a penny uh, more money for uh, uh, for foreign policy, they have become the isolationist uh, America First wing of the Republican Party, and they have no interest in funding Israel, or funding Ukraine, or funding Taiwan or anyone else. And they want the border issue to be addressed separate from the military spending, the supplemental uh, spending bill. And then at the same time, you have the far left of the party that doesn't want any money going to these foreign conflicts either, because they feel that. We uh, that we are being the financier uh, and the arms dealer uh, for crimes against humanity taking place across the world. Uh, so when we talk about the strange bedfellows of politics, I think we may be seeing the rise uh, of a new American populist movement where both the conservative right uh, and the progressive left move so far away from trusting the United States government that they simply want us to concentrate on domestic issues at home and stop being the, Ameri- uh, the world policemen uh, and the world arms dealers. So I, I think that's an interesting development to see as it goes forward. Hmm. Rachel Adbuff, you're an historian. Um, what's past his prologue, where do you see this going? Do you see the BDS movement, which has gotten a lot of pushback down through the years, do you see that beginning to get traction? I mean, where, where, where are we going to go with all of this? Because this is such a radical shift, and no one could have said that you'd have hundreds of thousands of people marching in support of Palestinians on Washington, D.C. on on October 6th. (laughs) You know, there's just Mm -hmm. such a shift in in our practices, if not our policy in the United States. It's it's amazing. Where do you see all this going? I mean, I think what we've heard from the last couple of speakers um, from the resolution, the beautiful resolution in Chicago, to um, kind of the the ridiculous allegations by Pelosi and uh, the the changes in politics, what we're seeing, I think, is a crisis in democracy. Right? Mm-hmm. Biden, you know, went around Congress for yet more military appropriations for Israel. He's saying this morning that he will invoke his special powers to quote clean up the border to make this deal with the Republicans. Right. Pelosi is saying, oh, the peace movement are a bunch of I mean, look, Putin isn't even a communist anymore. That's how old this, this argument is. They're a bunch of communists allied with Russia. Like it's, this is antediluvian. This is fusty baloney. Right. You know, and, and what, what we see with the resolutions going across the country is our democracy is not working at a federal level. Seventy percent of the American people want this to stop. And we don't hear a syllable about it from Biden on the campaign trail or from Blinken, you know. We have a democratic process, but it's at the grassroots, and it's being cut off at every turn. Like, oh, I'll invoke my special powers to do this, that, and the other thing. That is not democracy, right? So the kinds of movements that we're seeing with ceasefire resolutions around the country, you know, there's one at the county board in Milwaukee that our our, our brave county, some, a few of our brave county supervisors are um, pushing through with the support of um, pro-Palestinian, pro-ceasefire forces, right? What we're seeing around the country is people are going with other means taking the streets you know like because our our government is not listening to us you know when i think about how much money is being spent to rain death 
on women and children and civilians in Gaza, right? And what the schools, how, you know, the schools in Milwaukee, the teachers have to buy their own office supplies to, to get the kids, mm-hmm. right? There's like 40 kindergartners with one teacher because they cut funding for the extra teacher. All of that. Um, you know, is about a, a serious failure of democracy we're seeing, and this is going to break bad for the Democrats. Like, I don't know in Wisconsin, which has been sort of fairly shading blue because of the work of on-the-ground black and brown activists in Milwaukee and other places. But Milwaukee, I don't know what those organizers are going to be able to say to get out the vote this year. I don't. And I think, you know, you mentioned BDS in Milwaukee. There's a really great campaign run by an org called Milwaukee for Palestine. We have what sounds like, it sounds really lovely, the Milwaukee Water Council, Fresh Water. You know, it's a nonprofit. Well, it turns out that it's working very closely with the Israeli Water Authority and with other, with like right-wing orgs in the city to make our water, our collective water, the beautiful Lake Michigan that Chicago and Milwaukee are on, to privatize that water, right? You know, we know that in Israel, there are, there are swimming pools in the, in the Israeli settlements. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, my Hold God. On. And Nick, it's okay. We got, we got a soundtrack. Go, girl. <laughs> there are swimming pools that are next to and separated only by a wall next to communities that have water once a day. Once a day in the West Bank often. You know, like, you know, everyone plans for when the, there's going to be water and they go get pots and they stock up the water for, for the day because it might not come tomorrow. Meanwhile, next door in the Israeli settlements, there are swimming pools and hot tubs and water flows. That is the kind of work that's being, that's what happened, that's what the Israeli Water Authority is doing. So in Milwaukee, there's a move to say, we don't want our water planning to be working with Israeli water planning because we've seen what that does. It takes water away from people and gives water to people who have. We don't want to be involved with Israel. We do not want our water planning. And it's a divestment campaign, right? These are, this is, you know, the boycott, it's what, it's what Rosa Parks sat down on the bus. We celebrate that, right? That was a bus boycott. That's when people say, look, you know, the policy isn't going the way we're going. We're going to vote with our feet. We're going to walk. We're not going to take the bus anymore. The footage from Montgomery, you have all these hardworking African-Americans walking to work because they feel better walking than riding a bus system that discriminates against them. So I think we're going to see more and more of these campaigns for justice. But the, the theme here is that the mechanism of our democracy is not working. The Democratic Party is not listening to the people, and that is not going to go well for them in November. Hey, what are you what are you seeing? Uh, me? Yes, yes. I mean, because we just heard Darius yeah. Randall yesterday, for example, saying that look, I'm hearing in the streets people are pulling for Trump in the black community, and no one wanted to hear that yesterday. But I said, I'm not telling a, a lie here. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, I want to say two things. One is. 30, 40 years ago, when I was in my 30s, 20s, and 30s, the FBI had this under surveillance. It was a lot to be seen. It was quite a, stuff, a lot of stuff that they could see and, you know, and, and codify, codify. Now that they got me under surveillance, I'm sure they're asleep by about 3 o'clock and eating popcorn. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, 
Oh, you slowed down just a little bit, but it's all right. Oh, Amazon on phones and everything else. I mean, it's not like we're not being heavily surveilled all the time anyway. So, I mean, girl, don't pay any attention to it. Stop paying attention. Don't, don't humor him, Rachel. Don't help him. Bring it on. Bring it on. I think that the preacher is right on it is that there is a whole civil revolt against the Democratic Party now. And I, I don't think it's uh, repairable or redeemable. I think the people uh, decided that, you know, they want to move on. It's uh, They may not vote for Trump, but most folk, many folk now cannot justify in their mind that they are, uh, will vote for Biden and support this genocide. And Randall did say it last night uh, at the meeting, and I, I was glad he did say it. And he said it was good. I didn't want him to make it, you know, the issue of the evening, but I was really glad that he brought that out. Because, uh, I mean, because I you know, the, I think it's false that it just, pardon me, Dwight, I, people continue to say Rachel and Dr. Gibbs and Reverend Dr. Yuri and Robert, oh, blacks are going to stay home. No, they're not going to stay home. They're going to vote. Progressives are going to vote. They just might not vote for you. Right? Uh huh. And I think that uh, it's going to get worse when the Democratic Convention come here. And it'll be direct com- confrontation. Because it's going to be direct confrontation. Because you're going to see these groups out in the street, taking it to the streets against the party itself. And trying to force the party to be accountable for its own behavior and its own action. Which means the party is itself not going to have to react to them. So they may run the risk now becoming repressive themselves. And you got 1968 all over again, you know. Uh, and the same Russians that Pelosi is talking about that we're co-signing with, uh, they would become more uh, demonstrative in the spirit of the Soviets, as the Soviets themselves, as they repress all discord. This thing can get very, very ugly and inconsistent. Hmm. I've got 30 seconds for everybody to close. Dr. Gibbs, there's a lot that we unpacked today. Well, Reverend Dr. Yeary? I'm not sure if you can do an eye roll on radio, but I tried it. Um, and, and, and so, so let, let, let me know if it works. This whole notion of an assignment of communism and, and the role of the black church, we recognize that if we really took this is modeling for how we should live our lives seriously, they would call Jesus a communist too. So come on with it. We're okay. I'm totally fine with it. I really am. Uh, Attorney Robert Patillo? The pressure campaign is working on the American government. We're seeing the U.S. stance in the U.N. Uh, soften on Israel. We're seeing the, the question of funding uh, for the continued war in Israel uh, uh, being debated in the Congress. Keep the pressure up. The campaign is working. They may not act it, but they hear you. They are listening, and they have to respond. 
Rachel, you've got the final word. There is democracy in the streets, and we will keep making democracy in the streets until we have democracy in our elected offices. Well, I don't think there's anything else to say behind that, Dwight McKee. Democracy is going to triumph. No, democracy will win. Might not be pretty. Well, look, people will have the power. It's in the American DNA, everybody, on the right and the left. It's in the American DNA. Uh, Dwight, we're coming out in 15 seconds. Oh, you little communist, you. You communist, you get off my air. (laughs) (laughs) What's he doing? Girl, see, I told you that's why I can't fool with him. Look at what he's he's done to my song, Ma. (laughs) I love you, everybody. Devin, thank you for a great show. Rachel Ida Muff, uh, Dr. Dr. David Gibbs, Reverend Dr. Todd Yeary, Attorney Robert Patil, Dwight McKee, all y'all, Jonah Karsh, everybody call your alders in Chicago so we can get this ceasefire resolution passed. We need it. We need it. We need it. We need it. Jesus, more than the Israeli people and the Palestinian people. There is no difference. I love everybody. God bless you. Thank you, Cynthia. I'm still cracking oh. up about the FBI agents falling asleep when they're surveilling. <laughs> 